This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here, and welcome to the Alpaca Tribe, the podcast for alpaca people. We've had a couple of storms blow through. Strong winds and heavy rain at times. Most things survived, although we sadly lost a snake bark maple up near the house. The alpacas are all well. The creer seem to enjoy the wind. It makes them all up and a bit flighty. The excitement of the wind transferring to their bodies. If you've seen young children in a school playground on a windy day, you will know what I mean. Yesterday there was an absence when I went to feed them their tea. No adults, no career. It always makes me go and check that the main gates are closed. They don't tend to escape or go wandering, but they are insatiably curious. Gate closed. No sign. I had noticed them earlier on the finger of land that sticks out into the lake. They love grazing down there. No alpacas there now. The bridge at the top of the lake is where the stream comes into the lake, and given how much rain we've had, it powers through the ford area and produces white, clear white water over the larger stones. I hope they didn't try to cross through the ford. They're pretty sensible now, the career, but the wind makes them less predictable. No sign of them at the end of the lake. I decided to finish mucking out and putting the food out in the troughs, these are sounds that the alpacas recognise and usually come running with the eagerness of a long time since breakfast. Nothing. On any horizon. Start with the simplest explanation and the shortest walk to check nearby first. I head off. So much surface water. Desire line tracks were extensive puddles and the ground squelched underfoot on towards the garden paddock. So called because it is a field or paddock now, but it used to be part of the garden. Everything looks a bit battered and very damp. Then, as I continued round into the field with its slopes, I spotted a head. And they spotted me. So I called. More heads popped up. That was where they were. With strong winds coming from the southwest, this is where they had moved themselves towards the wind. Some large conifers offer some windbreak. Not sure that explains it, really. They seem to head in towards the wind, which I find counterintuitive, but there you are. Does anyone have a suggestion of why they would head towards the wind? The boys do it as well, particularly if it's from the north. Then they head up the valley to the most exposed field and settle by the fence, because they can't go any further. Sometimes grazing, but often just sitting, tail to the wind, chewing the cud. I've added it to my list of alpaca mysteries. I have some thoughts, but they don't seem totally convincing. What do you think? Drop me a line and let me know, or leave a voice message on the website. It's a curiosity. As soon as I called, they started to gather and run round to the gate on their way to the stable. As they came through the gate, they spotted me standing as a cameraman to record their running through, but no, of course, they stop to stare and wonder what I'm up to. 
The Korea gathered in a knot and stared at me, wondering what I was doing and whether they were included. They nudge and bump each other when they're all bunched up together like that, as if saying, go on, go on, you ask him. No, no, you go first. Then there was a massive, swirling gust of wind, which joined in the nudging and shoving, and made them dance with delight. The innate dodging and weaving of baby alpacas has developed into the evasion and escape tactics of young alpacas. Sideways leaps, jumps, and kicking with their back legs in the air. Not at anything in particular, do it because they like to. The wind seems to wind them up, to bring them to life, to keep them light on their toes. It also blows that amazing fleece around, so you get an idea who's got the density, who's got the fineness. Eventually, with some encouragement, a group of females and Korea, 29 in total, started heading for the stable. But the dog was a distraction. A few food-focused females made it down to the corral and the spread-out buckets first. They'll need to be quick, or the wind will tend to push all of the buckets back into the corner where I had found them, swirling and scuffing them along the concrete. With all of the rain, I had to scrape out the drainage channels too, around the stables. Grass grows in, and mud washes down, and the channels, while they get blocked and slow the flow, which lets it seep over the concrete base and under the wooden walls of the stable. Of course, our storms are considered remarkable, and we comment and complain as only the British can. I know your weather can be even more extreme and full-on. Our mostly minor irritations are nothing compared to some climate calamities. Even in other parts of the UK, flooding has been in evidence again. We got off very lightly here, for which I am grateful. The bad weather tends to push the cormorants inland, and we've had one or two on the lake this week, the large black lumps standing at the edge of the lake, drying themselves off. That becomes something of a magnet for the young Korea. In the car park the other day, three of them were fascinated by the cormorants and kept edging closer. Eventually, the birds plopped off into the water and safety. The three girls involved, Hunneth and what looked like either, probably Fleur and Eva, seemed to enjoy the hunt with wide-eyed curiosity. I've seen them do similar things with the grey wagtail, which flit around by the lakeshore. And back when we used to have chickens, there was a definite progression as Korea got older from, what is that? Curiosity, expressed by following. Then to, if I move closer, it moves away. Oh, that's good. And then eventually, they were deliberately chasing the chickens to make them squawk. <laughs> well, the chickens coped quite well, and retreat was their safest option usually. They lived well together, chickens and Korea. We don't have any chickens at the moment and do miss them. The chickens enjoyed the alpaca food and were always getting into the troughs after their share. The alpacas, or some in particular, mentioning no names, Megan, would hang around waiting for me to feed the chickens so they could help clean up too. It seemed only fair. Megan, in fact our first valleyborn, taught herself to get into the chicken run if I tried to protect the food by not leaving it out in the open. The only way out again was using reverse, and she managed it incredibly well. The low roof of the chicken run was not far off scraping her back and head, but it was worth it for the prize of the chicken food. The recent rain has kept the grass growing. 
and with a bit more sun the blackberries will ripen to provide a feast, both for us and the alpacas. Regularly we see blackberry stains on the chins of some of the white alpacas. It's funny the way they have distinct preferences, and some will go for blackberries first and then the others think, oh that's a good idea, and follow on behind. As I'm recording this I can see Howell, our top male, in the field at the far end of the valley. He's a bit of a Casanova, and is always hanging over the fence trying to talk to the girls. He's in his own field, but in line with where they are. I can't see any of the girls at all, but assume that's where they are. Hmm, maybe I'd better go and check that the main gates are closed. You know, just in case. Thanks for being here. Hope to see you again soon. Take care, stay well, and go spend some time with Nalpa. This is the Alpaca Tribe, and I'm Steve Hetherington. Have a great day.